So we always pray for nations. Aren't you glad that the cross is for every race, culture, language, and place? So as we pray for unreached people, we'll actually pray for a whole nation today because this nation has just been in such disarray for 40-plus years. Um, 30 million people, that's a lot of people, isn't it? 30 million people, dry and mountainous. You'll probably figure out what it is as I read about it. Dry and mountainous, but fertile valleys, strategic land has been fought over by rival foreign empires for 3,000 years. A foreign military working with a national government that is trying to be progressive and conservative is far from ideal, but an improvement from the tyranny of the Taliban. The Taliban imposed a harsh brand of Islam on the nation and continued to be a threat to national stability and security. Power of warlords and tribal leaders is greater than that of the government and the U.S. military. Currently, most of them side with the loyal Jirga Antante, whatever that is. Pray the Afghan government might serve and govern with humility and wisdom. Pray the people may experience genuine freedom and improved quality of life. Pray that every attempt by insurgents and warlords to destabilize the country will be thwarted, that settlements can be negotiated that are fair. The people of the last 30 years reduced the country to complete ruin and destitution. The Soviets, 79 to 89, the Mujahideen, 92 to 96, and the Taliban, 96 to 2001, perpetuated different problems and failed to build up the nation. Over 1 million died, an estimated 4 million children were orphaned. Though the country still suffers from conflict, progress has been made. Hallelujah. And some places where there is peace, the suffering takes many forms. They perceive poverty and lack of security to be their greatest problems. Pray for practical, timely, sustainable solutions to these. The continued threat of violence, the Taliban are very active and often operate from civilian buildings and civilian disguise. Hundreds of thousands of landmines and other undetonated still litter the country. Afghanistan is the world's most dangerous place for a child to be born. Infant mortality rate is the highest in the world. Many of the causes of death are preventable, diarrhea, cholera, dysentery, and pneumonia, the lack of health, wear, and clean water. 80% of the people have no regular access to clean water. 80%. Refusal to allow women to receive medical care from men causes high maternal mortality rates. There's an estimated 1 million people suffering with disabilities, mostly with damaged or destroyed limbs as a result of war. In remote areas, many are still being injured by landmines. Afghanistan has one of the world's highest proportions of disabled people and a nation that has no provision to take care or rehab them. Poverty and living standards, almost all live in poverty. There's very little employment. Many fight for the Taliban for one reason only, to collect a little bit of wage offered and stay alive. 80% of the population seek to exist by subsistence farming. Access to water is not our only problem. Irrigation destroyed by the water. Less than 15% of people in Afghanistan have any access to electricity. Can we even understand this kind of life? Can we? 85% with no water. 15% have electricity. Employment opportunities, though, praise the Lord, are increasing, and the economy for the first time is really beginning to improve. Drugs are a scourge on the nation. Indeed, the whole world, Afghanistan, grows 90% of the opium used in the whole world. 
Poppy cultivation has long been the main internal source of income, peaking at one-third of the GDP. This lucrative harvest heavily financed the Taliban. Failure to find any sustainable alternative crops causes many farmers, out of desperation to live, to continue to grow it, despite its prohibition. Heroin and opium addicts abound in this nation, over a million drug users globally. Every year, more Westerners in the United States and the West and more Russians die from heroin and opium overdoses than all the fatalities from all the wars of Soviet and NATO occupation. This is Afghanistan. Wow. Wow, so maybe... Some of us or one of us would pray for miracles of the gospel of, for Afghanistan and the unreached, the Tajik people, many unreached, they're one, seven million. Yes. Yes, hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Many workers, please. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Yes. Yes. Amen. And for Ferdoon, who I haven't seen in a while and comes from Afghanistan, so how I pray for him. So I'll ask the teenage group. Teenagers, wow. Fifteen, it can't be so, can it? I want to learn to listen to God better, don't you? And sometimes when God does something really supernatural, it's really meant to get our attention. Sometimes it's amazing that God can even do something supernatural and we miss it. I don't want to, but we can. And I love the way God does things supernaturally that are big and sometimes small. And those of us who were here last Sunday at the beginning, and Joel gets up and starts telling a story about an oil lamp and God in the morning had had me, had spoken to my heart and said, do a picture of that picture and bring it to church, which I did. And uh, we know that God uh, wasn't doing that by accident when he did this oil lamp. So I actually want to read again the passage that goes with that. We had power outages recently. And like I said, if you have a power outage, you not only need lamps like that. If Pastor Joseph doesn't have any oil, I'm willing to share my oil with him so that he can what? So that he can see. But like I said last time, there is one kind of oil that you can't ever share with anybody. And that's just too important, isn't it? So I want to... Part of it's that you're exactly, but we'll see what Allison's saying. What does that mean about be prepared? We'll read the passage first and then see what y'all think as she was talking about be prepared. So it's in the Gospel of Matthew. 
uh, chapter 25. So let's listen again and think about it. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to ten ladies who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were what? Foolish, and five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take any extra oil with them. <laughs> but the prudent took oil and flasks with their lamps. While the bridegroom was delaying, they got drowsy and began to sleep. This is really interesting. If you read these passages in Matthew 25 and the end of 24 about readiness and being ready for the coming of the Lord, do you know that at least three of them talk about delay? Do you know that? Because Jesus said, live every day as if it might be the last day, ready for the coming day. Then five years pass and he hasn't come, ten years pass and he hasn't come, a hundred years pass and he hasn't come, and people begin to what? He lackadaisical. They even question whether he's coming. Read 2 Peter 3 when it talks about that. When people say, is he ever even going to come? And Jesus actually prepared them because he talked about what? A delay. A delay. So in three of these stories, he actually talked about a delay in his coming. And when he delayed, all of them fell asleep. Not just the foolish ones. All ten fell asleep. So what it says here is that as he delayed... All ten fell asleep. They got drowsy and began to sleep. At midnight, suddenly, there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom is here. Come out to meet him. Then all the ladies arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some oil, because our lamps are what? Going out. But the prudent answer said, No, there won't be enough for us and you too. Go to the dealers and buy your own oil. What's the problem now? It's too late. It's too late. It's too late. For five of them, it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> While they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast. And the door was what? Shut. Later the other ladies came, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered and said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And then Jesus himself gives the application. Be ready. Be on the alert because you do not know the day nor the hour. And I just want to say again because this is so important. This parable is not about getting ready, is it? Because you can't get ready. When he shows up, you can't get ready. What's the parable about? Living in readiness. Living in readiness. The five were living in a ready way. They weren't getting ready. They were living ready. And so what Jesus says when you think about his second coming is that we need to learn how to live in readiness. To live in readiness. You can't get ready. You have to live in readiness. And they were. Five were. Five weren't. So I want to talk again. Uh, the Lord wants to give us very practical applications about how to live in readiness because he wants us all to learn how to live in readiness and then put it into practice, right? So you want to learn how to live ready and then practice that readiness. Amen? So that's my prayer for all of us. So Father, in Jesus' name I pray that you, Father, you, Jesus, you, Holy Spirit, would more and more teach us how to live in readiness. I believe you have a lot of practical applications that you want to deal with deep inside our heart 
So we want to be the five that were wise, not the five who were foolish. We want to be living even if there's a delay. <laughs> and so to speak, we fall asleep. We want to sleep ready <laughs> and learn how to live in readiness. So teach us how, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I love it when God just grips my heart. So I'm actually doing this with permission, so I'll tell you ahead of time, I would not do this without permission, never do, but I am going to um, share. Candace actually had texted me her testimony, which had such an effect on me last week, on all of us, and so I actually want to just read portions, and it's going to make sense to you why, so I want you just to listen. We even have a little addition to it. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to read just a few of these words that she wrote to me, but I just want you to listen, okay? Uh, God has been waking me up and granting me repentance. And it's such a miraculous work of grace as I'm getting closer to, to Him. Amen? <laughs> um, me and my friend were interceding the nation and I felt in my heart as I was praying that there was corruption in the United States government and that God was not pleased. I felt an impression that there was great wrath against America but that God's mercy was restraining it and that right now God wants his church to wake up and repent of her lukewarmness and idolatry and enact 2 Chronicles 7.14. I believe judgment is coming for those but for those who are his children and love him and truly repent it will actually orchestrate a great revival. The whole week I've been weeping and mourning my sin, my family's sins, and I've been crying for his church. Since then, I never thought I'd ever see go away in my life or going, and every spare moment I've been desperately seeking him. I know it's not me, but it's truly his grace, and I'm filled with gratitude. Amen? Amen. And then she updated today. I have a praise report to answer prayer about sharing the gospel this week. For months on my running route, I always passed the homeless people, heartbroken for them, wanting to tell them about Jesus. Wednesday, the Lord gave me the opportunity to share the gospel with a man who had a stroke. I told him what Jesus had done for me and prayed for him. I went back the next day, and I read the first page of John to him, and I prayed with him again, telling him Jesus died for him and loves him. He had tears in his eyes. He can't read without reading glasses, so I brought those to him with a Bible. This morning, the Lord told me to bring him water on my run, and I did. And he told me that he was in Corinthians, <laughs> and that he was reading the Bible every single day, and that it was the nicest thing anyone had ever done for him to bring him glasses since he came here. God is so awesome. Now, I'm not reading that to embarrass Candace. <laughs> Uh, I'm re actually reading it for one purpose, for actually one purpose only. The reason I'm reading that testimony is I want to learn how to live in readiness. Don't you, Pastor Joseph? So I want to learn how to live in readiness. You know, <laughs> we'll just about make me cry, Candace. From the time she shared that testimony, tell that testimony, God has been dealing with me. I don't know about the rest of you. 
but it's one word, so we really have one now word for today. And the word is readiness and repentance. Readiness and repentance. Can you say readiness and repentance? Repentance is not a one-time thing that you do when you first come to God when you're saved. Repentance is a way of life. Can you say repentance is a way of life? This is a way of life. And if you want to live in readiness at the nearness of Christ's coming, repentance, regular repentance, must be a way of life for you. And I have found myself all week long crying out to God and seeking Him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength for the miracle of real repentance at work in my heart. I've hungered for it, thirsted for it, cried for it. From the time I heard Candace's testimony, the only thing I've been able to even think about is repentance. Night and day, I wake up thinking about it. I go to sleep thinking about it because I want more real repentance. I want the Holy Spirit to do this heart work in me because if I want to live in readiness, I must live in repentance. And I find myself hungering and thirsting for this reality that has been burning in my heart. So what I'm going to do this afternoon is just share. It's probably not going to be the most organized thing you've heard, but that's okay. I'm going to share with you different verses which the Lord's been teaching me about repentance and pray that they'll be a blessing to you. So one we actually talked about last week, that great uh, passage, Paul, I'm at Peter's second sermon from Acts 3 verses 19 and following. So I want you to listen again. Uh, I'm not going to preach this passage because I have others I really want to share, but it is interesting how there are these phrases that all begin with R-E that come right after the other. So he's just told them about the greatness of perfect Jesus and the perfect cross and the perfect resurrection and the perfect gospel. He's told them all about the hope of the gospel, and then he applies it, verse 19, therefore repent, repent. Repent and return. That's not a call just one time in your life. God is saying that to you over and over again, and there are reasons. Listen what happens. That your sins might be wiped away, remission, so that times of refreshment can come to you from the presence of the Lord. How many in this room want more times of refreshment from the presence of the Lord to fill your life? Don't you want it? I want it. I hunger for it. I thirst for it. But I know it only comes with what, Joel? Repentance. And then times of refreshment from the presence of the Lord. Not only that, then he talks, verse 20, about the return so that he may send you Jesus who has been appointed for you. But why can't he send him yet? Verse 21, I love it. Heaven must keep Jesus until the period of the restoration of all things. Did you know that right now between the first and second coming of the Lord, this goes to Revelation at the end of the book when Jesus says, Behold, he who sits on the throne says. What's he doing? What's he doing from the throne? Behold, he who sits on the throne says, I am currently making all things new. What is that? That's the period of the restoration of all things. Did you know Jesus is doing that right now? It doesn't look like it, does it? You look at the world around you, so much pain and heartache and evil, and you think there's chaos. Yes, Allison? (laughs) It's an alternate universe, it feels like it. But you know what? It is, in a certain sense, alternative, because the reason it's an alternate universe is you have to have supernatural Holy Spirit eyes of faith to what? See it. 
Jesus really is making all things new. And here it says that he can't come again until this period of the restoration of all things is done about which God spoke by the mouth of his prophets from ancient times. I love that phrase in Revelation. Behold, he who sits on the throne says, I am currently making all things new. So what do we do before that coming? He says it here in the following verses, two things. He says, number one, heed Jesus. Learn to listen to Jesus in everything he says. Moses said, the Lord's going to raise up for you a prophet like me, far greater than Moses. You must listen. He said, Moses is just crying out. You must learn to listen to him in everything he says to you. Heed him. Every soul that doesn't heed that prophet will be utterly destroyed. And likewise, all the prophets who've spoken from Samuel and his successors announced these days. You are the sons and daughters of the prophets and the covenant God made. So what else does he tell you besides listen to Jesus? He says all he wants to do is what? Bless you. The covenant with Abraham where the promise in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant Jesus and sent Jesus to do what to you? To destroy you? No, to what? Bless you by turning every single one of you from your wicked ways. God wants repentance for Pastor Brian more than Pastor Brian wants repentance. Isn't that remarkable? I realize my father, my shepherd in the Holy Spirit, wants to work miracles of repentance deep in my heart, followed by times of refreshment from the presence of the Lord and all kinds of miracles of his blessing and his love. He just wants me to live in readiness by living in what? Repentance. He wants it to happen. I want to talk about another verse that just makes me so excited that God's going to do Revelation 19, which actually uses the same word readiness that's used in these Gospels. Revelation 19, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. I love this passage. This passage gives me so much hope. Just what we did right now. A voice came out from the throne of God and said, Give praise to our God. Amen? You, His bondservants who fear Him, the small and the great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters, mighty peals of thunder. And all they could say was, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And guess what? The bride has done what? made herself ready. Wow! She's living in what? Readiness. She's made herself ready and it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen are the righteous acts of the saints. It was, the bride has made herself what? Ready. I get so excited. Jesus is not coming back for a dirty bride. Candace, you have no idea how much your testimony blessed you. What he did in Candace, he wants to do in all of us. That's what he wants to do in his last days all over the world. To get his bride what? Ready. And Candace just gave a testimony of all this miracle of repentance and refreshment from the presence of the Lord because God's working on her. Do you see that? Why is God working on her? Repentance. Real repentance, not fake repentance. Real supernatural Holy Spirit repentance. And as she's been doing that, miracles and miracles are happening in her life. God's getting her ready for the second coming of Jesus. 
He's going to do that for all of his bride, not just her. I love that phrase that I just read in Revelation 19. The bride has made herself ready. It will for the real remnant who are the real bride who really love Jesus. There will be real repentance, real times of refreshment from the presence of the Lord, and she will be really ready. I get so excited about that. Don't you? Make me ready, Jesus. Make me ready, Father. Make me ready, Holy Spirit. The wonder of repentance. Readiness. The bride has made herself ready. And two verses, these go together. 2 Chronicles 7 and Revelation 3, verse 14. I'll start with 2 Chronicles 7. I love that passage because nobody ever reads the first three verses. Do you remember the context of what had happened? 2 Chronicles 7. What had happened in 2 Chronicles 7? What had just been finished? What, the temple. I don't know who said that. They're exactly right. Temple had been finished. One of my favorite passages on revival in the whole Bible is the first three verses of 2 Chronicles 7. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven. That's what I pray all the time. I've been going over there to wake chapel all the time, and I lay my hands on the door of that church, and I go, fire. Fire will come down from heaven and fill this house. Fire. Fire comes down from heaven. Then what happens? It consumed the offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled his house. And the priest couldn't enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. All the sons of Israel saw fire come down from heaven and the glory of the Lord on his house, and they all bowed their face on the ground, and all they could do was worship. And they cried out and said, Surely our God is good. Surely his love lasts forever. Don't you know it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance? You figure that out like they said in Romans? What leads people to repentance? Being scared to death that the wrath of God is going to burn them up? No. What brings them to repentance is what? The goodness. That's why it says in Romans, the goodness of God, Romans 2, brings people to repentance. All they could sing, they were on the face, their full face. All they can say is, surely our God is what? Good. And his love lasts how long? Forever. There's revival. Fire comes down from heaven. God's glory fills his house. Everybody is on their face. Real repentance and all they can do is talk about the goodness and love of God. Don't you want that? I so want fire to come down from heaven and for God's glory to fill his house. And that's why then later on after he gets past those first three verses, he gets to the one we've memorized. When Solomon said, If my people who are called by my name will what? Four things, humble themselves and what? Pray and what? Seek my face and what? Turn, repentance from their wicked ways. Four things. Now, the evangelical church today is the exact opposite, and I do not say this judgmentally. I say that as a true reality, especially in America. We are a prideful church, a prayerless church, a lukewarm church, and an unrepentant church. I'm not talking about the liberal church. I'm talking about the evangelical church, full of pride and prayerlessness and lukewarmness and unrepentance, and God wants the exact opposite. He wants what? Humility. He wants to fill us with prayer as prayer words. He wants to make us true seekers who burn with a fire to know God. And he wants to make us repentant. Aren't those four beautiful? 
He wants to make us. I pray those. Take those and pray them in your heart. I've been asking God that all week long. I've been saying, Lord, give me the humility of Jesus. I must have his humility. Make me a prayer warrior like Jesus. Make me pray like Jesus. Make me seek your face like Jesus did. Change my heart. Make me repentant. Work the miracle of repentance in my heart. Please, oh Lord. That's what God wants. Amen? He wants us to learn how to live in repentance. Repentance with humility. With humility of Jesus. With the humility. Prayerfulness. God wants to light a Holy Spirit prayer fire that burns in your heart. The American church is prayerless. <laughs> you can't even get people to pray. Because man's ways won't make it happen. Oh, we need revival. <laughs> where the Holy Spirit will burn a prayer fire, Pastor Joseph. We won't be able to sleep at night, brother. <laughs> we'll be up all night on our face seeking the Lord. Don't we need that? Real prayer and real seeking. Don't you want to be a true seeker? I've been praying that for the last three to four years. It's over and over. I go, Lord, make me a true seeker. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Behold, the beauty of the Lord and meditate in his temple. When you said to me, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face I will seek. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Are you a true seeker? Don't you want to be a true seeker? I mean a real seeker. Don't you want seek ye first to burn and be real? Don't you? I do. I want God just to work this in my heart. You know, a parallel passage to that is Revelation 3, 14 to 22. And this is the last church, the Laodicean church. I mean, we live in that right now. It's never been more true than the Laodicean church in America today. To the angel of the Laodicean church, write, the amen, the faithful, the true witness... The beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds. <laughs> you're not cold. You're not hot. I wish you were cold or hot because you're lukewarm. In the literal translation, I'm going to vomit you. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I have need of nothing. And you don't even know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Five things they were. They were wretched, they were miserable, they were blind, they were naked, and they were poor. And you know the worst thing? What? They didn't know it. It doesn't get worse than that, does it? They didn't know it. They were blind, but they didn't know they were blind. Wretched and miserable, they didn't know it. Naked, they didn't know it. Poor, they didn't know it. And what does God say? God says, I want to clothe you so you won't be ashamed. I want to give you gold so you'll be rich in me. I want to give you ointment to anoint your eyes so they can see. I don't want you to be wretched and miserable. I want you to be beautiful. You're my bride. And that's what he goes on to say. The very next passage, he says that. He says, I don't want that. I love the way he says it. I advise to you. <laughs> He goes, I've got some advice for you. Buy gold so that you will be rich. White garments that will clothe you. And the shame of your nakedness won't be revealed. Ointment to anoint your eyes that you can see. In the verse 19, how much do you love this? Those whom I love, I correct and discipline. 
Be zealous and repent. Those I what? Love. Go back and read Proverbs 1, 2, and 3. The same thing is said over and over again. Those I love, I correct. Those I love, Joel, I reprove. Those I love, I discipline. Don't you want more of it? I ask God, I say, correct me, Jesus. Reprove me, Jesus. Discipline me, Jesus. I don't want my head to refuse it. I want my heart to be wide open to it. Proverbs 1, you talk about another beautiful promise. Turn at my reproof and I will pour out my Holy Spirit on you and make my words known to you. Proverbs 1, 23. Don't you want that? How does it come? Repentance. Repent and I will pour out my Holy Spirit on you and make my words known to you. Verse 33, it gets even better. He says, I don't want to get it wrong because it's so good. Not just verse 23, but verse 33 of Proverbs chapter 1. Turn to my reproof, verse 23. Behold, I'll pour up my spirit on you and make my words known to you. Verse 33, he who listens to me will live securely and will be at ease from all the dread of evil when it comes. Amen? Because God has made them ready. God has made them ready. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. What does he say? What's his command in verse 19 of Revelation 3? Be what? Be zealous and repent. This is zealous repentance. Be zealous for repentance. God wants you to want it. He wants you to hunger for repentance, to thirst for repentance, to yearn for repentance, to have a zeal for it and to ask God for it. To ask God, teach me how to repent. I want to learn how to live in repentance. I want repentance to be my lifestyle. Do you want that? How can you live in readiness for the coming of the Lord? Let me ask you, you can only answer this to your own heart. Are you living a lifestyle of repentance? Is repentance your living lifestyle? Day in and day out, week in and week out. Is repentance your lifestyle? If it's not, you're not what? You're not ready. You see how important repentance is? Repentance is all about living in readiness. I need it. You need it. Be zealous and repent. I stand at the door and what? Now I want to ask you again because we use this passage all the time wrongly. Whose door is Jesus at? Not unbelievers. Whose door is he at? Believers. Believers. Okay, here it is. He's on the outside. Where's the doorknob? On the inside. He who what? Hears. Do you hear? Do you hear Jesus? What is he knocking about? What's he knocking about, Philip? What's he knocking about? The whole passage. What's he knocking about? Read Revelation 3. Repentance. Repentance, Joel. Jesus is knocking at your heart. He's knocking at your heart. He's calling to Joel to repentance. Do you hear, brother? I say that to myself, Pastor Joseph. He's knocking at your heart, Pastor Joseph, and he's calling you to new repentance. Are you, are you hearing? Do you hear? It's scary if we don't, isn't it? Look what he says here. 
Those I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous for repentance. I'm standing at your door, Philip. I knock and knock, knock, knock. Do you hear my call? I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and what? Opens the door, Joseph. We open it. Yes, Jesus, I hear. I'm hungry for repentance. I'm hungry for repentance. I hear. I'm opening the door. I'm opening the door. And then what's the promise? I will come in and dine with you and you with me. Intimacy. That's the same promise at the end of Proverbs 3 when he's talked about reproving. And he's talked about correcting and disciplined. And at the very end of the proverb, he says, and I will be intimate with you. The last couple of verses of Proverbs 3. I will be intimate with you. Don't you want that? Intimacy with Jesus, intimacy with the Father, intimacy with the Holy Spirit. If anyone hears my voice knocking for repentance and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. Unbelievable repentance. Now here's something I really want you to hear because I've missed this so often in my own life. Candace, you might not have noticed this, but in the testimony she sent, I don't know how many of y'all caught this. When Candace was weeping, what was she weeping about? What's the first thing she said she was weeping about? Her sin. sin, But did it stop there? No. Who else was she weeping about? Sin of her family. And who else? Even the sin of the country. You know what happens because God has shown me in my own heart. I'm so glad when God shows me things in my spirit that aren't right. You know, when he says, Brian, you're too judgmental. I don't give, thank you for telling me, Lord. Or that you're jealousy. He's shown me jealousy in my heart which I have seen. Because guess what? When real repentance comes, you're not pointing at other people's sins. What are you doing? You're weeping. You can't condemn them and criticize them and put them down. You have no room to put them down, Joel, because you're on your face weeping for their sin, not just yours. When real repentance comes, you become a weeper for all sin, not just your own. Not just your own. And you know where you see this? Here are my heroes. I've listed a bunch of them. I'll tell you the passages. You can look them up because there are tons of nines. I love it because they're all nines. My hero, Nehemiah. Nehemiah 9. But don't forget one. That's the one I'm going to read to you. Ezra, what chapter do you think is in? Nine. Nine and ten. Daniel, what chapter do you think? Nine. Paul, Romans, what chapter do you think? Nine. And my greatest hero, Jesus, it wasn't a nine. Hebrews 5, 7. Hebrews 5, 7. But just listen. Yeah, Nehemiah. I'm actually read it. So Nehemiah, I want you actually to hear it because it's just so beautiful. Listen to Nehemiah. I want to be like Nehemiah. When I read a passage like this, you know what I do? It makes me repent because I read this and I say to my Father Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I am not like that man. (laughs) And then I say, would you make me like that man? Listen to what Nehemiah did when he found out about the spiritual state of Israel when it was broken and down. They came to him and they gave him the report. Listen, verse 4. Unbelievable. It just makes me want to repent. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept. Why don't we weep for the state of the church in America? I don't. 
I'm just being flat out honest. I'm just being flat out honest. I don't weep tears for the state of the church in America. Now, Nehemiah wouldn't have been able to say that. I wept and mourned for days. I fasted. I prayed. <laughs> When's the last time you fasted and prayed and cried for the sins of other people? Oh, wow. I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I begged, I beseech you, God of heaven, great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. I'm praying before you day and night. Wow. Wow. This guy's praying day and night. On behalf of Israel, confessing the sons of Israel, which what? Verse 7, read it. Confessing the sins of Israel, which what? We have sinned. Ah, in my father's house. It's so unbelievable. When real repentance comes in your heart, you identify yourself with other people and you see their sins as your sins. It changes it, Joel. When I'm praying for the church, I go, I'm a part of this church. We have sinned. We are prideful. We are prayerless. We are lukewarm. We are unrepentant. It's a we prayer. I'm part of this. I can't point the finger of them. It's me. Isn't that a different kind of repentance? He goes on to say, Ah, we in my Father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you. We have not kept your commandments. I don't hear pastors pray like this, do you? From the pulpit crying for their sins. We have sinned. We have acted corrupt. We are lukewarm. Oh. <laughs> From Nehemiah chapter 1, just read the whole chapter. Yeah, just read the whole chapter. It's worth its weight in gold. It's worth its weight. Ezra turned backwards. Ezra 9, just listen to this. It's so, so staggering to me. Ezra 9 and 10. I'll start with verse 8. For a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God. He's left us an escaped remnant. He's given us a peg in the holy place so that our God can enlighten our eyes and grant us a little bit of reviving in the midst of our bondage. Hallelujah. We are slaves, but in our bondage, our God did not forsake us. He extended to us in our slavery loving kindness in the sight of the kings to give us a little bit of reviving and raise up his house and restore its ruins and give us a wall. <laughs> he goes on and begins to list all the particular sins. So he, he lists them in detail, what he's done. Now, chapter 10, Ezra was praying, making confession, weeping. and Where, Do you see this anymore? I just long for these men of old like this. Here's Ezra. Confessing, weeping, prostrating himself before the God of heaven. And guess what happened? A very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered him from Israel, and the people wept bitterly. Wow! Children on their face crying. Wow. Wow, isn't that just staggering? And then you go on and see, listen to what Ezra says. We have been unfaithful. We have sinned. We have turned our back on you. Isn't that unbelievable? Here, go to Daniel 9. What do you think you're going to get? These are my heroes. I want to be more like this. Daniel 9. 
I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and I confessed, and I said, Alas, O Lord God, You are great. You are awesome. You keep Your covenant and Your loving kindness for everybody who loves Him and keeps His commandments. We have sinned. See again? Daniel, we sinned, we committed iniquity, we acted wickedly, we rebelled, we turned aside, we didn't keep your commandment, we didn't listen to you. Righteousness belongs to you, to us nothing but open shame. Shame belongs to us. <laughs> he goes, and I want him to read the rest of it. It's so good. On the end, he says, O Lord, don't forsake us. O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. You see the problem with the Laodicean church? They don't even know the sanctuary is desolate. They don't even know to beg for revival. They don't even know they need it. Oh God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes. See our desolations in the city called by your name. We're not presenting our prayers before you on account of any merit of our own, but your great compassion. Oh Lord, hear us. Oh Lord, forgive us. Oh Lord, listen to us. Oh Lord, take action for your glory. Isn't that a great prayer? Oh, Lord, hear us. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Oh, Lord, listen to us. Oh, Lord, take action for your glory because we are called by your name. Now, that's a great prayer. <laughs> Daniel, you go ahead and read the rest of the context. 21 days fasting, praying. How do you fast, Joel, for 21 days? I don't know. <laughs> I want God to make me like these men. Romans 9, and we'll share my last two. You know, I read Romans 9, the first three verses, and I beg God to make me like that. Paul says three things. He wants you to, to catch how serious he is. First thing he says, I'm telling you the truth in Jesus Christ. Is that not getting your attention? I'm telling you the truth in Jesus. Second thing he says, I'm not lying. Number three, my conscience is bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Now, why do you have to give that big intro for what he says next? I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart and could wish that I myself were separated from Christ and accursed for the sake of all these people that don't know you. Oh, I read that and I say, Lord, I have so little love for the lost. <laughs> Great sorrow. I just so loved it when Candace said she's weeping for her family. <laughs> you know, Candace, I'm ashamed of myself. I don't weep much for my family. <laughs> I was so convicted by her testimony. I don't weep for America. I don't weep for these homeless people like I should. I go, Lord, what's wrong with my heart? I want a repentant heart. Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Could wish myself separated from Christ or cursed. My heart is broken for these people that don't know you. Where did he get that heart? That's God's heart. That's the Father's heart. That's Jesus' heart. That's the Holy Spirit's heart. That's why my favorite hero is Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 5 verse 7, when it talks about how Jesus prays. Have you ever read that? How does Jesus pray? With loud crying and tears. Wow. I said, wow, that's how you pray, Jesus. Loud crying and tears. I want you to change my heart. Don't you want that? 
Don't you want more of that? <laughs> Let me just give you a little testimony. I'll close up and I will finish. Uh, one more, and then I really will finish. You know, I love taking verses of Scripture. Let me tell you this. Because when I find Scripture that isn't in my heart and I want it, I start praying for it. I've really been burdened for the last two years with Psalm 126. This psalm has really gripped me. Uh, It starts like this. When the Lord brought back the captive ones from Zion, we were like those who dream. Seventy years in captivity. Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with joyful shouting. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has. He's done great things for us and we are glad. But now he applies that revival to the present situation. And listen how he prays. Restore our captivity. He wants revival. Like streams in the desert. Those who sow in what? Tears will reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, Pastor Joseph, will come again with a shout of joy bringing his sheaves with him. I've asked God, I said, God, the reason I'm not seeing fruit among the homeless because my heart doesn't really break for him. Not like it should. Where are the tears? Don't you love Psalm 126? He who sows with what? Simple question to you for application. Are you sowing with tears? Do you? He who goes to and fro carrying his bag of seed with him, weeping, Pastor Joseph, will come with a harvest. I read that and I just want God to change me. I don't read passages like that to condemn myself. I read passages like that to ask God to really change me because I know that He can and He will. Amen? Amen. So let me just give my last few applications. I can't find it, so I'll just do it from the heart. That's as good a way as any. Well, there it is. Here's how I've been praying lately because I pray a positive type of praying. And God has shown me unbelief in my heart, so I pray like this. I've been saying, I believe Help my what? Unbelief. I love. I do love. So I'm glad about that. Pastor Joseph told me, he says, Pastor Brian, you really do love those homeless. I do. So what I say, this is my prayer, I love, help my unlove. Help my unlove. I do love, but there's not enough. Help my unlove. I hope, help my unhope. So I say, Lord, I do believe, but I've got way too much unbelief in my heart. I do love, but I've got way too much unloving in my heart. I do hope, but I've got way too much unhoping. You know, other areas that God has been showing me in my own heart, and and I'm not afraid to confess it and say it. I have seen very clearly pride in my own heart, and I know there are places where it's hidden and I don't see it. So I come to the Lord and say, Lord, I hate my pride. I know it's one of the most dangerous sins in the Bible. I long to repent from it. I want you to take it out. I want the humility of Jesus to fill me. I'm tired of my judging and my jealousy. I've seen it. I'm tired of my selfishness. I'm tired of not being able to listen like I said. Now, I don't pray all those with condemnation. Do you understand the difference? Satan will condemn you. What will the Holy Spirit do? Convict you with great joy and anticipation and hope. So that's the way you'll be able to tell the difference. The Holy Spirit never condemns you. He shows you what you don't have, but He always does it in what I call positive repentance. He shows you what you're lacking and then promises you He's going to give it to you. 
When I read Ezekiel 36 and it says, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. I take that as a personal promise from the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to Brian Thomas Wright. BT, as you'd say, Joel. God has promised that he will cling me by the cross and the resurrection from all my filthiness and all my idols. Amen? Amen. I believe it. So I'm thankful for what he's done, but I'm hungry for more. That's why that prayer I've told you for the last four or five years, I keep praying. I never stop it. Clean me, Lord. Clean me deeply. Keep cleaning me. Heal me. Heal me wholly. Keep healing me. Free me. Free me completely. Keep freeing me. Change me. Change me thoroughly. Keep changing me because I want to be filled up into all the fullness of Jesus. Amen? I'm thankful for what God has done, but I want what? More. I want more. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3, Brothers and sisters, I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. (laughs) But one thing I do, I press on. What was Paul seeing? He saw there was still sin in his heart, defiling things in his heart, which he wanted to get rid of. And he was pressing on because he was hungry for God to make him whole. So I've been praying Psalm 139. I will close because we'll talk this again. And this is how I've been praying it for myself. The one that goes, search me, Lord, and know my heart. Uh, I've been putting the word hindrances in there. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any hindrances in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Lord, anything that's hindering my love for you and my love for people, it needs to go. And I want you to show me, what are my hindrances, Pastor Joseph? What's hindering me from having more of the love of Christ, more faith, more hope? I want more real repentance because I'm hungry. I'm hungry for more of Christ. And if I want to live in readiness, I have got to live in repentance. Those I love, I correct, I rebuke, I discipline, says the Lord. I want Him to make this positive repentance. He's going to break me to make me. Aren't you glad about that? I know that God empties me to fill me. That He breaks me to make me whole. That He wounds me in order to what? Heal me. So I want more of whatever it takes (laughs) to get me to be what I want to be. So we want to live in readiness. When you see these things, recognize Jesus is near at the door. Maranatha, he's coming soon. Learn how to live in readiness. What do you need to be living in? Repentance. You need to be learning in repentance. A gift that brings joy, peace, love, and hope. (laughs) Times of what? Refreshment from the presence of the Lord. May God teach us by the Holy Spirit how to what? Repent. In Jesus' name, so that we can live in readiness. Amen. Amen, amen.